0: Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today. While we both sip a tea or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic. It's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown the opportunity to chat because talking is, as the saying goes just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Saturday, August 29th, 2020, and my guest today is actor, performer and writer David O'Reilly from Dublin. David trained at Collins Performing Arts Studios in Romford, graduating in 2010, following a three-year musical theatre diploma. He landed his first professional job in Greece in the West End and then did the UK tour, performed one of the lead roles in the Book of Mormon for five years, made the move into TV in Benidorm, was directed by Cathy Burke and Lady Windermere's fan at the Vaudeville Theatre, toured with the Catherine Tate Show Live, took on the lead role in One Man, Two Governors in Derby in 2019, and opened in Everybody's Talking About Jamie in January. It gives me great pleasure to welcome David O'Reilly. Hello!
1: Good morning, how are you? I
0: am very well, thank you for a Saturday morning. How are you?
1: Yes, I'm not bad at all. Thank you for having me.
0: Not at all. First of all, what beverage do you have in hand?
1: Do you know what? I am? I have a common cup of tea. A simple common cup of tea.
0: Well, cheers. I've got a strawberry and vanilla green tea, which does, it sounds a little bit pretentious, doesn't it? But um, it's meant to be good for me, so.
1: Oh, good, good. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Happy Saturday. David you have done so many things theatre and telly in your relatively speaking quite short career since graduating from drama school you grew up in Dublin was that in your blood at an early age the the performing bug?
1: I can't say that I came from a, a, a family of actors and dancers and singers I mean Music was very much part of our life growing up with regards to, you know, my mom and dad would have soundtracks, a Tina Turner album, musical, Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals. My mom would have that CD. I didn't realise quite how much that music kind of was a real fundamental part of our upbringing, actually. My, myself and my brother then went and we, we, we played musical instruments. Uh, I played the violin, he played the flute, and... Um, I joined a drama and after school drama club um that's quite literally how it came about and that's when I had my first kind of taste of of performing and for some reason it just it was the only it, it just felt like it was the only hobby because I'd done so many hobbies that felt like it was mine and that I I I was good at it does that make sense it does. you know and as a young kid when you've got people telling you God, that's very good, David. Well done. You know, that sort of self praise for any child is just incredible. So, I'm, you know, you're kind of thinking, "Wow, I'm I'm, I'm doing something here," and, and and I'm getting positive reinforcement and and and, and praise myself. Okay, this is good. And that's so that was probably where I started. Um, and and I was horrendously bullied, um, in primary school, really quite badly, uh, for two years, and that. The drama and clubs and and, and, and and watching shows and my brother was in dancing law they were my little out, outlets of, of, and just my little moments of, of of escapism.
0: Gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. that's dreadful and at primary school it's such a, a young and impressionable age as well. When you were going to this after school club, were you doing the acting along with the singing and dancing?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, when I think about it now, it was one of the school teachers afterwards teaching us songs, scenes, and, uh, you know, dances. So, like, it really was just him by himself. And it was must have been, when I think back, God, the crap he must have been teaching us. But we just absolutely loved it. You know, we absolutely loved it, you know. And we just, we used to do little shows, little musicals. I know we did Bugsy Malone one year. We did uh, Oliver one year, you know, it, it, it was just, it was a real kind of hub of creativity, as it were, and it was it was the times I most looked forward to after going to school.
0: I think it can make a big impact on children, even if you don't pursue that, you know, as a career. It has an effect, doesn't it, on confidence and uh, relationships and communication,
1: uh, yeah absolutely and we forget as well like that when you're those age just such formative years you know growing up you know children don't have experience in anything in life so everything that they experience nine out of ten times is gonna be the for the first time so you know to to have that so young to find something that you enjoy so young is such a gift to anybody, any child. And not even, like you said, if it's to be a professional, just purely even to build up confidence and and to give them the skill sets to be able to sit in a boardroom maybe and have a meeting and not shriek with absolute, you know, anxiety. There's all these sort of things that add into it as well, which is fantastic.
0: And do you know what? I think sometimes we stop being creative when we go into, you know, adult life. Mm -hmm. you know work takes over life takes over and a part of me wishes no do you know what I wish I had a little outlet for like a a grown-up amateur little club that I could be a part of because I just think it would benefit so many of us and uh, especially at this peculiar time um
1: absolutely
0: at what point did you think I think I'm quite good at this and I could probably carve a career or I'd like to see if I could carve a career out of this
1: it's it's really funny. I don't know if you ever go. I think I'm I'm good at this. I don't. I certainly hope I didn't because I. It's it's really interesting when, maybe it's just me, but I was just speaking the other day and so just kind of gone off the question you asked a little bit. I always think it's always really lovely when someone still has the nerves and the humbleness and the question of, oh God, am I doing this right? Not too much, because obviously that can take away, but I think it adds in a a, a sense of awareness of what you're doing so that you do want to thrive to do the best, mm-hmm. where you're not sitting back in your laurels confident that you are the best. Um, so I don't know if I've ever done that, but I think it was that basically I went to college, I graduated. So in Ireland, the skill system is different. So I went to a year at college studying media and English. Um, and this was when when I was 18. And I did a year and I got the opportunity to audition for Drama College in England. Didn't know anything much about it. So I'm going to do it. Um, And, you know, I didn't know what was going to come for me. You know, it was a, a chance. It was a risk. I didn't have anybody saying, oh, my God, you absolutely have to do this. You know, there was never anybody saying that. So I did it. And then I got in and it's one of those things and i'm 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 really grateful that that i you know got in and got the opportunity to train because actually right now I, I, I don't know what what else i would have done that would have made me as happy as i have been for the last 10 years doing what i love
0: at the very young age of 19 you moved from dublin to romford I did, yeah. to study at uh, cpa studios
1: what was that like then Yeah, yeah, now it was crazy. it was it was it was three of the best years, but three of the hardest working physically and mental mentally as well you know i I had some incredible tutors and and one particular tutor, Michelle Blair, who now actually has her own uh, agency and represents some incredible talent in the west end she she took me under her wing and very much was like a mentor for me for my three years and pushed me. Beyond any sort of limits I ever thought that were there. Like it, it was extraordinary. You know, drama college can be at times really hard. They break you down physically and mentally, as I said. And, you know, I was eager and I was hungry for it. And I wanted to please all the time. And that's really difficult when you're just as in a performing arts world, you're constantly working towards getting somebody to announce it. That's good enough for a job that's good enough for a job that's yet given the job so when you kind of get into that mentality at college it's about impressing 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 because at the end of it when you leave in three years some of these tutors may be able to give you a job and that's the mentality that we were taught with at all times Mm -hmm. so it was three extraordinary years Uh, again it was hard I don't have like a massive circle of friends from that my year group um I definitely have a circle of friends from other year groups it's really interesting mm-hmm. actually and again they were formative years for me as a person as well kind of you know mentally you know I had some scars there from my, as a child of of you know interactions and you know really struggling with um if someone didn't like you you know like nowadays i might like, if someone doesn't like you it's none of my business, go ahead. I know who I am and I know that you're missing out actually by not liking me. However, back then, it's a really hard thing because again, like I said, your aim, and your aim is to please people to get the job and you kind of get, it all gets mushed up. So particularly at the moment, and I know we'll speak about that later when I hear people speak about um, the business or politicians referring to it as a hobby or um, when I hear about people referring to it simply as um non-essential um. I I would direct them to try and get through three years of drama school and musical theatre college because it certainly has made me a stronger person and it has certainly made all my friends that I know stronger and and, and much better human beings who haven't gone through it.
0: David, you're not the first person who I've spoken to on this podcast that's talked about how rigorous drama school training is. So I have the highest of respect for anyone that sticks out three years So what happened after that three years then? Did you stay in London and go on the audition circuit? How tough was that time?
1: Oh, God. Do you know what? It wasn't actually as tough as I think it was. I got a job at a a known store, House of Fraser. And, oh, my God, I absolutely hated it. It was the first kind of job that I was doing out of college. And I couldn't get my brain to say that this is a job so you can pay your bills so that you can audition anyway I then got offered um, some other part time work and uh, I did work and then I auditioned started auditioning and I auditioned for Greece in November of 2010 and in the West End they were doing four months just to close off the current long run of it mm-hmm. and they needed a roger for those four months of so January, February, March and April so I, I went for an audition and I got recalled um and then I got recalled and it was I, I was seen by an amazing casting director called Debbie O'Brien and actually like she, she cast me in a show last year as well that I did and she's she knows the business like the back of her hand and she cast me in my first show and, and, and it you know, I was very lucky. I started rehearsals in January of that year and we opened January twenty fifth, I don't always remember it two thousand eleven. First West End job and it was very much a sink or swim, fight or flight mode. Because I was in suddenly in a world where people who've done shows for ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, and I was looking up at all of these people with such awe and admiration, and it was extraordinary. Like looking at, and I made, I made certainly two of my friends for life in that show. Um, so yeah, it was amazing.
0: Can you remember what the opening night
1: felt like? Oh my god, the night I was apps. I actually had this not saying gross, I had green spots, white spots on my tonsils. I was oh. I, yeah, honestly, I and I remember going to the doctor and they wouldn't give me anything for she because everything back then was oh if it's a virus, it's either A, two different types. But she wouldn't give me anything for it. So I remember being like, Oh Um and then I had all my family in and um teachers and and it was it it was crazy and I remember being so nervous like literally to the point where I was physically shaken you know but it'll be a night I'll remember for the rest of my life.
0: And the feeling you must have had when the curtain came down at the end?
1: Oh my god the feeling I don't know if you've seen Greece we do about 80 million barrels. You know the yes. mega mix is the mega mix is longer than the show, and um, it the mega mix is, is just electric and oh my god the feeling the feeling of doing that show and leaving stage well it was electric oh, I feel very lucky you know There's a lot of people uh, look look their noses down on musicals like Greece, mm. you know and it's it's extraordinary because actually. I, I loved it, you know. It was one of my, uh, it was one of my favourite shows. You know, I lo- It was my first show. It will always have a, have a real um, soft spot in my, um, a close place in my heart.
0: I mean, Greece is iconic. It's an iconic show, and that mega mix at the end. I always think, how of the da- how have you all got this much energy at the end? How can you go through this?
1: Uh, they was- don't get the ensemble of that show do not get enough <laughs> did not get enough credit. Arlene Phillips and Karen Bruce created a, a show like no other, and their ensemble worked their asses off.
0: Gosh so you're in this iconic show for your your first professional job. What happened after that? Because you got work quite quickly, didn't you
1: <sighs> Well, it just, it finished and it was going on tour and I wasn't uh, asked to go on tour with it, you know, um... And that was a again that was a that was a learning process, and I think it's important that we speak about the times where the business was hard for us as well, because everybody always talks about this is me, this is me, showboat, 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 and that's great. And I I encourage everybody, particularly at the moment, showboat yourselves as much. But I also want to talk about the um the times, and basically, they said to me that they needed the Roger to cover Vince Fontaine, and that was fine. It was very difficult at the time as a as a 23-year-old, to hear that. But I left, and then suddenly I'm in a show called Bluebirds, which is on top of a gay bar that used to be uh, the stag in Victoria. And I'm changing in a kitchen on top of a gay bar to do a fringe show, and it was amazing. We got to do this show uh, for two weeks, and I was working during the day, and I was doing the show at night, and it was a real education in itself. I then... Went and did Panto then in Western Supermere, mm-hmm. And then I came back in January, started a job, and I got a phone call saying, would you like to come back on tour with Greece for a year? Um, we need a paternity cover, and we, we're going to move the covers around, so we'd like to have you back. And that was amazing for me, because I, I genuinely wasn't finished with the show. I had more, I wanted to do it again. I, I, I needed to do it again. And I got to tour the UK doing it, so I had the best time.
0: Wow. You're not even 25 at this point and you get to tour with a major show. What's that like? Upping sticks every few weeks, performing in a different venue, getting to know the different theatres, different crew, different audiences. That must have been really educational.
1: It was. It really was. That's exactly what it was. I I learned more. I learned more about my craft. I learned more about... How shot, even though it's the same show that goes to every city, every show will be different because we we might not be able to use this prop there, we might not be able to have that set piece there. You know, when we went to Bournemouth, they couldn't get the car onto stage, so we ended up having to re a whole Grease Lightning number because they couldn't get the car into oh onto the stage, so they, it just didn't fit. So, you know, it's all these sort of things that you do and you learn and that, that keeps it very much fresh and it keeps the adrenaline going and, and that is what was, was really exciting. And then obviously we get to go around and visit new cities and try and experience new, you know, England. Is, and the United Kingdom is such a beautiful country with so much diversity and kind of gorgeous places to visit that when you go around, you know, you make memories. And I can, I associate every venue now with a memory in my head. It's really funny. Like I did Panto in Bristol at Christmas and I'd been in Bristol, Greece before that and so all the little memories from that came flying back. It was extraordinary.
0: So you had that kind of surety of a contract, a touring contract. What happened then when that ended?
1: So that ended and I had enough money to pay a month's rent and my tax bill and I went and lived in a friend's house for three weeks. With nothing more than that money and an audition for the Book of Mormon, um and I went for an audition. And I'd already been in it for a year before, and they said no. But then they got me back in. Uh, the wonderful Natalie Gallagher, uh, at Pippa Alien, and Pippa Alien um, got me back in, and um, I have such an affection for Natalie. I think she's an extraordinary, extraordinary casting director who works. So hard, and actually, I when I'm at work, sometimes I will run for her, uh, for the auditions. I will run, so that means not not running. Trust me, I don't run anywhere. Trust <laughs> me, but uh, I will take people in and bring them in. And what I have seen from doing that has been such a lesson in the business and in really getting to see the ins and outs and the process of auditions. But anyway, yeah, they got me in, and I I, I got an audition and. I got recalled, and then I got recalled again, and then I got recalled again. I think I went in for my fifth edition. And this was on the Wednesday, but they had already started rehearsals on the Monday. Oh. So this edition was happening on the Wednesday of the first week. And it's so funny. They do wind me up in the cast. They say, you weren't really the original cast. <laughs> you were cast 1A. And they they're terrible. Stephen Ashfield. He's one of them that'll wind me up with that a good friend of mine. So anyway, I went in for the audition on Wednesday on the Wednesday, and when I tell you, I've I've not walked into a smaller room filled with so many people in all my life. I was terrified, but I wanted I wanted I wanted it, I wanted it. So I did the audition and then I finished and I went home. And then the next day is the Thursday. I wake up. I again. I'm like, okay, what to do today? No job, little bit of money, and mushroom. And my phone rang, and it was my agent, and he said, "One minute, David." And he said, he went off. He said, "I have to just cancel this." He started speaking about his boiler to somebody in Bournemouth about getting his boiler fixed, and I was like, "Surely he wouldn't do this if he's ringing me about good news. He wouldn't, because why would you do that?" Why would you know? Anyway, he comes okay. off. He goes, uh, hello, David. He said, "Um, so where are you? I said, I'm at home. Why? He goes, you got the job. Oh, my God. They'd like you in today. <laughs> so I at this point, it was one o'clock. No, it wasn't. It was about 11 o'clock. And I was like, are you joking? Oh, my God. Are you absolutely joking? And at this time, It was my second job in the West End. And there's always a job. Whenever you finish a job, you always think, oh my God, am I ever going to work again? I really hope I do. And I rung Michelle Blair, as I always do when I get a job. Um, And I told her. And then I went to rehearsals. I had a costume fitting. I went in. I met everybody actually I don't even think I met so some people were like hey, who was sitting in because I was stand by Cunningham so I wasn't actually physically up on my feet laying and stuff but I, when I was up they were like well, who's, that? who's that you know because some of them hadn't been there so it was it was crazy so I sat in the Thursday of the first week of rehearsals and there I remained for five years.
0: David that's incredible 2013 and you are standby Elder Cunningham basically one of the lead roles.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically whenever uh, I shared the standby position with um, Daniel Buckley mm-hmm. and whenever he, they were sick or whenever, whenever Jared was sick or holiday, one of us would go on. And yeah, then I said for five years and it was absolutely five years of craziness.
0: <laughs> it's one of my favourite shows. And I'm not just saying that because we're chatting. So my now husband took me to see Book of Mormon on one of our first dates. No. Yes. He had seen it and loved it. And we'd had one handful of dates and he'd booked the tickets. And it was, um, I'm pretty certain, October 2013.
1: That's a brave show to go and see in the days.
0: Right. And I knew nothing about the show. And as we sat down uh, in the West End, he turned to me and he went, are you easily offended?
1: <laughs> and you went, well, why? Because there's no hope now.
0: He <laughs> said no. He went, well, that's good. <laughs> there uh, um, we loved it. Just adored it. Yeah, it's just fabulous. Yeah. So, you know, it could have been you that I saw that night.
1: Maybe you did. Yeah,
0: maybe um, you did. So it's still one of the biggest shows. What was that like, that five years Because you must have got to know all the cast and crew really well and developed good relationships and a lovely rapport. Did you feel quite settled knowing that you were in a a long-term show?
1: Yes, yes. There was a certain comfort that came with earning a wage every week you know, and being in a show that I knew. I knew that building and the show like the back of my hand. I knew the people over here, you know, the creatives and the the sales management, the wardrobe people, you know. And by the end of it, I was the last remaining original cast member. So I was the only one who'd been there from the very beginning. Well, 1A. Um, you know, I was, you know, who, who knew the experience of the show moving from the rehearsal room To the theater, to it being teched, to meeting all these original creatives, and doing everything that we did within the first year. Um, So that in itself was was it was crazy, and I'm sure people by the time I left were like, "Oh God, get rid of them!" But uh, you know, you do certainly build up a rapport with people, and build up you know people are family. Like, do you know what I mean? They they were family to me, and again, I've made some incredible friends on that show that I will hold very near and dear to my heart um and have done for the last few years.
0: And did you get to play the part as many times as you wanted to?
1: Oh my god yeah yeah I was very lucky over the five years I got to play it so many times and you know be on stage for so many amazing moments and you know we do a lot of charity work there and one of my favorite times is when myself and one of the other covers alex lodge was on for elder price and we did a live auction for a script south park script and we got five thousand pounds for for a charity you know it it was extraordinary you know so i have lots of memories of being on for like great moments as well as being on you know and and i thought i was going to get through my five years without going on in the middle of a show Mm -hmm. and just before i left I was put on halfway through the show. It no. was, it yeah, yeah. Literally, he literally, Cody came off one wing and I came on the other. It was like a slip and slide.
0: Was he poorly? Did he come down sick?
1: He, he just his voice, had shot. And the thing is, where the guys who play Cunningham and Price, particularly the ones I worked with, they very rarely go off because they're just they're so amazing at what they do and their craft. And they even if they're not one hundred percent, they can figure out ways about getting around the show. Give, still giving a hundred percent, but yeah.
0: Wowzers. And how much notice were you given? Did you know an hour before? Two uh, hours before?
1: I was called down. I was upstairs in my dress moment. It was literally like, You need to come downstairs or else and you need to get ready now. Um, because we're gonna have to stop the show if you don't get on ready for this bit. Um and then start So yeah, yeah.
0: God. I guess you've gotta warm the body up and warm the voice up.
1: Well, you have to be, because you go go to warm up with everyone else as well. So the aim is that you already are vocally and physically warm.
0: It's a really tight working machine, isn't it? Theatre and the workings of a cast and having such good organisation.
1: There is. There's so much more that people don't see and so many people that people don't see. And this, again, is the problem right now, is that people, because people don't understand the people in charge are making decisions that are not informed and are not educated. You go and see a show, you see 30 people on stage. That's not a show. The show is the man who sits at stage door and gives you your keys to your dressing room. The show is the people who downstairs come in at nine o'clock in the morning because they need to get the dry cleaning in that's gone to the lingerie and then go and repair a pair of shoes and then go and buy underwear for Mormons and, pick up socks and then you got the man who goes and they have to do maintenance on all the lights and all the sets and then come in and do rehearsals and then do a show that night. The creatives, who come in and constantly make sure that the show's come well. out. The front of house team, who after a show, sit there and, and wait for everyone to leave so they can pick up the rubbish and then that they can go home. And all the box office teams, the marketing teams, the show was so much more than the people on stage. And before we finished, we'd gotten to a place... The industry was by no means perfect, no means. There was so much work to, that had to be done both on and off stage with regards to representation, equality and pay, mm-hmm. for sure. My fear is, is that because we have people now who are making decisions for us in government, you know, elected officials who don't have any sort of knowledge about theatre, that we are going to be put back further and further and further. And um, it's very difficult to kind of explain to someone what the theatre is and how it works if someone has their hands over their ears and that's what it feels like at the moment.
0: I, I know you've you've had a tough time, like so many people in the arts at the moment, because ultimately the industry is on its knees due to the pandemic. Thank you for so eloquently talking about all the other people that make up the intricacies of theatre because I think we often forget the wardrobe team that sometimes they're up half the night, aren't they? Just sewing and getting everything ready for the next day mm-hmm. um so you absolutely smashed book of mormon you did your five years and then what happened because you were able to make the transfer to tv as well
1: my first tv job was Benidorm. um i, d- I joined in series nine i did an episode then again in series 10 and that was during my time at mormon so 2000 and 17 18. And six, 16, 17 maybe no maybe i the episodes went out in seventeen and eighteen, but we so they would have been filmed in sixteen and seventeen okay. to out seventeen and eighteen. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Well done. I'm glad you know what you were doing because uh, I don't. Um, and uh, yeah, Pam Skinner, who works at Sonia Friedman, was uh, my general manager at the time, and she's just incredible and so supportive and um, an amazing woman at what she does. And she held my hand through those five years during many difficult moments. And she she said, yeah, go do Benidorm. I had to take it as holiday from Mormon, but I was getting to go out and film this amazing TV show. And so then when I left Mormon, I left to go and do Lady Windermere's fan. But yeah, when I was at Mormon, I did Benidorm.
0: Amazing. Did you enjoy working behind a camera?
1: Oh my God, I loved it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And what's really hard is it's such a big difference. You know, it's so hard. There's a real sense now that it's so easy to just welcome to sit and stand in front of a camera. It's a completely different art form, I and mean, I'm getting used to it. And I, you know, you're constantly questioning. Okay, this, that. You got to make sure that you stand on that spot. You got to say you say your line, and it's just it's again when I simplify it down and say it like that that course is sounds simple, but it is a real kind of departure from what I'd known with regards to theatre but I just loved it I loved 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 it. I love getting up in the morning and going in and going to a dressing room going into makeup then going and putting on a costume then getting taken down to set filming break go back on and film some more have lunch with everyone then I just loved 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 it I just I, I, I had the best time and then I went into doctors for a few weeks last year, and I had the best time doing that. You know, it was equally as 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 enjoyable, and I loved being behind the camera. I loved creating a character. I loved the energy that comes with learning scripts, you know, quickly and doing it, and then moving on. I love it. I loved. I love TV, and I, I hope that someday I get to do more because I I, I really do love it, and I, I want to learn more. And I want to be in front of the camera more so I can make bold choices and and, and explore it a little bit more. I just constantly, I want to learn, learn, learn.
0: I can tell by your enthusiasm. And obviously you're flexing so many different creative muscles. Absolutely phenomenal. So tell me about One Man, Two Governors.
1: So One Man, Two Governors, I got... uh, My agent woman asked me if I want to audition for... um, the production last year and i was unsure because because it was regional the money um sometimes cannot be um equally I have to do your maths basically I mm-hmm. have to sit down and see if i can justify walking away from my jobs that pay me you know money whether that be like working at the pub or be working you know doing running for casting can i afford to walk away from them in order to do this job so i did my sums and 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 Debbie O'Brien, her actual son of the cast, I'm like, no, Harry, and he seen me for it. And I was really grateful I got in to see it. So I went went in, I auditioned, and then I went up to Derby to do a final. And and then I got the job, and I decided to go with it because I wanted to do the play. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the play. I wanted to have the chat. I knew it was going to be a really big, big challenge because there's so much involved in that role I mean he's on stage the majority of the time, there's so much text to learn anyway but then you've got so much physical comedy improv, going out to the audience you've got a single, you've got to play a xylophone there's so many of these things that kind of come with the show and and I, it, it, it was a hard process mm-hmm. if that makes sense, one of the hardest processes I've probably ever been I've ever done, but one that I'm proud to say that I got through and I you know, I, I know we say we shouldn't listen to reviews and we shouldn't read them, and, and to say this, we shouldn't because the audience is the biggest reviewer. Mm-hmm. But we got, you know, some incredibly, incredible five and four star reviews for the show. And, you know, when you're trying to play a character like Francis, but also lead the company as well, mm-hmm. to get that kind of positive reinforcement and to meet Richard being the writer and have him give his little nuggets of gold you know the man is a genius he knows what he's doing like and to have that was just incredible
0: i mean it's an iconic play it's like you say extremely demanding absolutely hilarious and of course based on carlo goldoni's a servant to two masters so i would imagine there had been a lot of pressure on your shoulders if you like
1: yeah absolutely you know every actor's different in what way they approach things and i have to say for me one of the things that got me through the process and someone that was constantly kind of yes on come on you do you're doing great was david cardi one of my fellow actors um who is he's got a cv the length of his arm he knows what he's talking about he knows what he's doing and he is an old school actor you know and he Turns up, he does the job, he goes on. You know what I mean? Like that's it. You know, no problem. I've got to do what I've got to do. But he's so fantastic, and he literally made the experience for me very much so. He just was hilarious, and actually, the cast as a whole was fantastic. You know, people who just wanted to create good work and and bring their skills with them and and offer it out to these creatives and audience members you know it's really important
0: I saw the show when it came down to Southampton and I just cried all the way through I just just thought it was brilliant so very very clever and so physical I don't know how you all remember all of those lines
1: that was when did you see that
0: oh that's a very good question I'm guessing 13,
1: 14, it would have been the production from the Haymarket, of course. The yes, town, I think and so. And that's another thing as well, is that we were doing a, a new production. So you constantly want to reinvent, not reinvent, but put your own stamp on it. Put your own kind of like flavour on it.
0: Well, you've done so many big, well-known shows already. You only graduated, let's remember that, 2010, so 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. So goodness knows what the next 10 years is going to bring. Tell me about being involved with The Catherine Tate Show Live, because not only did you perform it in London, you got to tour New Zealand and Australia with it.
1: Yeah, it's the best job. It was one of the best jobs ever, and we, we went... It was just like, no other job, theatre job or anything live that I'd ever done. We were treated like rock stars and that was down to Catherine. She made sure that we were all looked after and she leads a fantastic company. Um, my, There was four of us in the cast and I was one of four, three other incredible actors, Nikki Wardley, um, Alex Carter and Catherine Tate herself, who are just three, brilliant, brilliant actors at their crafts and three brilliant people, you know, and we became a little family on tour, going around Australia and New Zealand, and we had the best time. We we really did have the best time. And again, I learned so much because this was doing sketch comedy. You know, I was playing five different characters in one show um, and got to do improv and I got to go out with the audience and I got to work one-on-one with Catherine and singing. I mean the woman knows what she's doing, she knows how to make people laugh. And you know what? She cares about audiences as well. We'd come in and she'd always say, Can the people in that seat see? Can the people over there see? Can then people back there see because she knows people have spent money to see her show and she wants to make sure that everybody comes into the show and enjoys it and, and, and gets gets their money's worth and I think that's so admirable nowadays. Mm-hmm. To have someone thinking like that, and so we 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 were amazing, and I'll never forget our last show when we uh, before we went to the West End, we were in Auckland, in a, like a five thousand seat arena. They all had kids. The other three have kids, and obviously partners, and they were all there in the audience, and we it was just literally we were one big family. It was it was crazy,
0: amazing. And did you audition for that?
1: Um, yeah. I no, I didn't, no, didn't actually. So. I'll tell you the story about that. So one night I was on for Elder Cunningham and Book of Mormon and Nick McLean, who played the doctor at the time, came off and said, Catherine Tate's in the audience. I said, oh, so silly. I would have seen her if she was in the audience. And I went out to the second last scene and there she was. So in the bows, I was like, we're walking back waving. And I just went to her, I love you. And she went, she and her daughter reached over and went, just said he loves you. And she went, Me and I went, you Now what I didn't realise was Catherine actually wasn't even supposed to be there that night. She was supposed to go and see, I think it might have been one direction, a little mix at the O2 that night, and they'd cancelled. So she went to the Book of Mormon and said her her with her daughter and some friends and Anyway, I'm in my dressing room afterwards, and my telephone rings on the dressing room. Says, it's the stage doorkeeper. He says, "Hello, I've got um, I've got Catherine Tate here. She wants to see you." Hey. So I knew of Catherine obviously from being Catherine Tate, but also because the writer and creative Benadon Darren Lytton, who gave me my first ever TV job, obviously on Benadon, his best friends were. So she came up afterwards. And she's like, "Hello," and I was like, "Oh my god." And we just got talking and she said, you know, oh, I want to work with you one day. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, people say that, you know, kind of people will say that and you just, you know, anyway, we exchanged numbers and I was like, oh my God, what the hell? Anyway, I had just finished Lady Windermere's Fan in the West End with Jennifer Sanders and Kathy Burke and I'd gone home to have a week at home in Dublin and I had no other work for the rest of the year. Like There was nothing I had. I hadn't booked anything as it was. My calendar was, was free. As it was open as it is now. And um, Catherine agreed to do something for me for a charity. Anyway, she wrongly said she couldn't do it because she'd broken her wrist. And she said, oh, she said, I'm supposed to be going to Australia to promote my tour, but I can't even do that now. But anyway, she said, speaking of Australia, Matt Horn is actually doing a play at the time and can't do... Australia so we need someone to fill in would you come and do the show in Australia and New Zealand and I was like "Uh, yeah are you joking, the questioning would you do it, like I was going to turn around and say oh thanks so much for the offer but um, no, it was her daughter turned around Erin and said why don't you ask David from Book of Mormon so Erin, who who's now 18, she's the most wonderful wonderful um, young person young person <laughs> what a stupid way to describe someone um, <laughs> but she really, she's extraordinary now and she said what yes. did you ask David? Catherine did and I, that's how I got the job and we started in October did three weeks rehearsals then two a week uh, teching in Perfleet and then off we flew to australia to pref sat there incredible
0: so basically if maybe if she hadn't come to watch that night
1: if she didn't come to watch that night i wouldn't i wouldn't have done the tour for sure that's
0: amazing isn't it it just shows you the universe and chain of events and a little bit of luck and you know right place at the right time and
1: yeah, and and, I, and and her kindness and willing and ability, she'd only ever seen me do Book of Mormon. You know, like, so that was it, like. So for her to say, you know.
0: David, you know, you took Matt Horn's place. Hello. Oh,
1: oh don't, don't, because obviously <laughs> me and Matt, For anybody doesn't know what I look like, you know, if Matt is the number one, I'm the number zero. <laughs> Physically, that's what we look like. So basically, I'd come out on stage and you could almost feel people go, That's not Nan's grandson. So we added it into the show and made it really funny. Like, we really did. And, you know, it was... um, It was crazy.
0: What a fabulous platform to be given.
1: For sure. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many people I'm grateful for and in this business. And obviously, like I said, Debbie O'Brien and Natalie Gallagher for getting me in the rooms and so you know. And then obviously... Darren Litton, Kathy Burke and Kathleen Tate. I mean, crazy names who have trusted me to work for them. And that in itself is the biggest, biggest compliment anyone could ever do is to say, will you come alongside me, work with me and do my work? I mean, hello.
0: <laughs> I would like to talk to you, if I may, about Lady Windermere's Fan, which you performed at the Vaudeville Theatre, directed yeah. by now Kathy Burke. I'm a such a big fan. What was it, it like, David, being directed by somebody so well known in the business?
1: Amazing. It was amazing. There's nothing else I could really say apart from it. Genuinely was amazing. And her rehearsal room is a safe space. Her s- rehearsal room is a place of creativity and of 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 compromise and of of discussion and of real heart and the woman knows what she's doing you know some people direct and you know some people choreograph and and that's great but she directs she directs like she knows her craft she knows what she's doing and she creates some beautiful, beautiful work, and but she really wanted to put across the strong female characters and that and take away the acid intellect and really, really put in and open this play up for everyone and By that, she shared the responsibility with the cast because she wanted to employ working class actors as well to play these characters. So, you know, we could we could get a chance at playing a character we necessarily would never have been thought of before. And, you know, I'm so grateful I got to do Cecil Graham. I loved it.
0: That must have been quite a big change for you as well, because although there are moments of, of humour, it's still quite a serious play.
1: Well, it is in itself, but, I mean, I was very nice. I, I kind of feel like I'm the one who came in to the play, said a couple of... Funny one-liners. Found your woman's fan in the room that she shouldn't have been in. Dropped it in front of everybody and left the shitstorm, as it were. You know, what I mean, like I, you know, I was very lucky that that was that. You know, I got to do that. You know, and I and I, I absolutely adored it. I adored it, and um, I got to work with some really fantastic, talented people, and um, I learned a lot in that job. Again, you know, I'm somebody who's out. Like, I'm not. I'm not perfect. I constantly am learning and evolving. And um, one of my favourite rehearsal processes was that show.
0: Wow. Wow. You say that you've been lucky enough to work with some incredible people. And I'm sure that actually the people that you're all talking about saying the same thing about you.
1: Oh, I doubt it.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they are. When lockdown happened earlier this year, you had opened in the show that everybody has been talking about, everybody's talking about Jamie in the West End. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, a show that is being propelled to new heights, the same really as Book of Mormon on that same level. What was that like getting the part and opening in January?
1: It was amazing. It was was a fantastic, fantastic show to be proud of. And and in many ways, I hope I get to go back and do it again. who knows what's happening at the moment. It's a fantastic show. One of my favourite casts to be part of an incredibly diverse. I mean, the cast had two Muslim characters in it. I mean, what other show do you see two girls wearing hijabs? It was so representative of of Sheffield, of the UK. Mm -hmm. The choreography was fresh and new. The story was heartwarming and life affirming and... It was great to be part of a strong story, you know. It was great to be part of a show, a British musical that had been done out of town that Nika Burns took a chance on bringing it in. And it was a really fantastic show to be a part of. And, it, you know, like I said, had such wonderful people attached to it. and 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 I was sad that we finished... Obviously the way that we had to finish and, and and I hope that we all in that group get to go back and, and do it again. Because I feel like, in the I produced it to say it, but I do feel like the world needs to see Jamie at the moment. Mm-hmm. The world needs to see it.
0: A production that's got something to say, you know, big time. Were you on stage or doing the warm up when... You were told everyone it's time to go home. Were you given a little bit of notice at the show?
1: No, I wasn't in the building that day. I was actually in Ireland. My grandfather had um, passed away oh. the week before, and um, he had uh, um, he'd had a, a long battle with prostate cancer. So he had passed away and I was at home for his funeral. So I found out via the WhatsApp group that the the show wasn't happening that night. And of course we didn't know how long this was going to happen. Some people said that we were told two weeks, you know, we just didn't know when or how long it was going to be. So when I found out, I flew back on the Tuesday mm-hmm. to find out, oh no, we're not on for the rest of the week. And then obviously it becomes two weeks. Then it becomes a month. Then it becomes, well, maybe we'll be back by August maybe and now it's months now and it doesn't look like any shows are going to come back until next year david
0: i'm so sorry about your grandfather and that must have been a extremely difficult time um made even harder by the external goings-on how have the last five months been for
1: you do you know what they have been a roller coaster, and they and I? That's a very cliche thing to say, but they really have been a roller coaster. I started out trying to be really proactive and positive. Um, and I did daily interviews with various different celebs. I did comedy dance thing called Dance with Dave every day, and then I stopped it. Uh, I did a YouTube um, teaser of a sitcom I'd written called The Gay's Days. and
0: Which I love. Can I just say, watch that this week. It's brilliant. Uh, the writing, the comedy, the way it's shot. I mean, I don't know what cameras you use to shoot that, but it looks
1: super... Iphones. No! It was all done by the actors themselves in their houses on iPhones. And I got the inspiration from my friend Julie Graham, who just finished... Uh, a series called Breeding mm-hmm. and she created an amazing YouTube series and, I said, and she said to me, go create this stuff, go tell your story. So I had that to do and then then obviously that finishes and we then edit it and then put it out and then suddenly I found myself with nothing to do, no job coming up and, you know, I, in 2017, I, I, I speak very openly that I was diagnosed with depression anxiety and ocd and i take daily medication um for it and i'm a much better person for my education mm-hmm. um and depression does not define me um i define depression i don't have depression and live i live with depression mm-hmm. you know and it's it, this week was particularly hard you know Monday, it just felt like we, there was no hope. And, and and I'm speaking really openly and candidly now because by doing this, sometimes people feel like this, you know, because I was so busy with interviews and because I made the gays days and stuff like that, that they have to go and create too. And then therefore that they feel bad about themselves and that they, they, they feel bad that they should be creating something and they feel bad that they feel bad. And it's all like, guys, Everyone is just trying to get by now and everyone is going to have bad days and my bad days were this week. Monday was a write-off and I felt like a ton of bricks had just come down completely on me and I struggled to see the positiveness, any positiveness because, you know, we are being ignored. The theatre industry, the entertainment industry is being ignored and if we're not being ignored... Well, then they're doing a really job, bad job about communicating and, and and listening, and it's hard. It's hard, and the mental ramifications and the PTSD from these moments in time. Again, I'm, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm going to talk about my industry. The ramifications with mental health on people in this industry is going to be huge, mm. and that in itself will be a pandemic. Mm.
0: I'm I'm I am really sorry that. This time is so difficult for you. Um, I saw one of your tweets and it made me just take a moment and think, God, you know, there are going to be a lot of people feeling how you are too. And thank you as well for highlighting your situation and and talking openly and candidly about it, because I think the more people that talk about how they're feeling, it can only be a a positive thing in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you been given any inclination when everybody's talking about Jamie might be able to open again?
1: No, we haven't. I mean, the the problem is, is that the theatre industry cannot open with social distancing guidelines in at the moment. It's just not possible. So they need financial support and to be able to open the shows up safely with social distancing or they need to do um, more work in enabling financial support to freelancers until that happens, because this is the problem, is that because actors and stage management and self-employed freelancers in the business are so unique, nobody is listening to how how it applies to them. We have people, incredible people, artistic directors um, from lots of theatres around the country, and... Um, a a union and theatre owners who are spending time speaking to the people that be that make these decisions, yet there's no one seems to be caring or worrying about freelancers. I have friends who have families who have mortgages who now they don't have jobs and their partners don't have jobs. I mean, where do we kind of go with this, you know? Because we're trying to put our voices out there and be heard. But it's exhausting. It's so tiring to try and explain to someone your job and why you should be counted and why you should be just equally as important as the next person when nobody is willing to listen. And that is just really, really difficult and and really hard, you know?
0: I can't begin to imagine how difficult it is. I'm going to just highlight the uh, short film that you wrote, The Gays Days, because it is brilliant. And I say that with no bias or anything. So if anyone hasn't watched it, go to YouTube and watch. It's brilliant. David, was that the first thing you've written? Because it's very, very clever.
1: No, it's not. Um, my agent encouraged me to write something a while ago and I wrote a a sitcom called um Who's Next in a charity shop with all the women who work at the charity shop and the manager who's a man and um it was really important for me to create characters and strong characters who were relative to me and relative to other people and, and just kind of create a little world and so then I created another thing, another little series and then I decided that I would do the gay days and I'd never seen my friendship circle represented on television, a diverse, equally as interesting friendship circle, L- LGBTQ um, based friendship circle, and I wanted to write something like that and create some humour with it because there's so much humour and we all needed a laugh as well. Do you know what I mean?
0: I can see this on a BBC Three. I can see this oh. on uh, Channel Four. Someone pick it up
1: and put it out there. Come on. We would love to make more. You know, the director, Debbie Izzett, who's a mentor of mine and a friend now who's incredible. A BAFTA award-winning director directed it remotely from her home. Nikki Ager edited it so incredibly well. The content that he was sent, I mean, it looked like some of us had filmed it on, you know, Tamagotchi's, you know what I mean? Like, and he's been sent this information and... He's this content and he created something beautiful. And then we had an amazing cast, you know, yeah. Sherry Houston, Nikki Wardley, Jamie Chapman, Harriet Thorpe, Tom Wilson, as well as then a really diverse group of young actors all creating something brilliant. So I'm really, really proud of it. And I hope, you know, if anybody is listening and they want to go onto YouTube and watch The Gay Days, please do. And I hope it makes you laugh. And you've got 50 minutes of escapism during this crap time.
0: How do you relax?
1: How do I relax? Um, normality is really relaxing for me. So um, I like to watch television. And I like watching soap operas. I love soap operas. I love Senders. I think the work that the soap operas do is incredible. EastEnders, Carnation Street. I like to watch comedy. Good comedy. I like to go out to restaurants and dine and... And I like to spend time with my friends and my family. That's how that's how I relax and how I how I take time to take a breather. I haven't got the work-life balance 100% because I always, oh, I should do this or I should do that. And um, what well, I'm learning as I get older that it's important to take a moment, take a breather. And,
0: and who would you say, David, has been your biggest influence
1: so um i think as well growing up i always learned a lot of strong female characters in my family so i think your influences you know they start off very kind of young and form in your formative years so you know i really strong my mom and my dad were really quite strong with their personalities both strong people who who had opinions and allowed us to have opinions Work-wise, you know, Irish comedians like June um, Rogers was it was an Irish comedian who I used to love. I used to be obsessed with. And then as I got older, people like Julie Walters, you know, Maggie Smith, Derek Jacobi, and uh, Victoria Wood, obviously, and um, Jennifer Saunders, Kathy Burke, you know, Patricia Routledge, and Keeping Up Appearances. Yes, these amazing, amazing actresses and actors. I just constantly was like, oh. I just looked at their work. You know, people like Patty Claire in Coronation Street mm-hmm. is one of the funniest actresses I think on television at the moment. And I love watching people be funny and I love pe- watching people create work. Do you know what I mean? And people like Shona Ryams over in America who creates these amazing seasons like Scandal and Grey's Anatomy and, you know, stuff like that. I love, I just love people who are entrepreneurial and creative and and stuff like that so i mean that was a very long list if who inspires me but
0: no i can actually see a lot of those strong women i can see it in your writing
1: yeah i love i love creating strong women characters and if you do watch the gays days you meet three female characters in there who are related to the gays and um they're representative of women that i've met and know, and you know I love writing for those characters and I love writing for, for women and, and strong women as well.
0: That was actor, performer and writer David O'Reilly. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.